How's it going, Retrogrades? This is Dave Gordon. Today I'm bringing you a solo show, and the topic of today's show is the ongoing need for women to cover their heads during liturgy, and be reminded that liturgy is any of the official acts of public worship of the church, like Mass and the sacraments. So there's a constant tradition, hearkening back to the apostolic age, of Christian women covering their heads during liturgy. Where does the tradition of women covering their heads during liturgy come from? It's actually a scriptural directive. St. Paul in 1 Corinthians chapter 11 verses 4 through 5 writes, Every man praying or prophesying with his head covered disgraces his head, but every woman praying or prophesying with her head uncovered disgraces her head. So the directive for women to cover their heads in liturgy has three purposes. First, it's to show reverence for God, the spiritual head of the church and of women. Second, it's to show reverence for women's husbands, who are their temporal and in many ways spiritual heads. And third, it's to stand as a mark of modesty against a culture that is obsessed with women's exhibitionism. The use of the head covering, and it doesn't have to be a veil, any head covering that's appropriate for a formal occasion will suffice. So the use of a head covering inherently reflects women's submission to God, represented during liturgy by the priest. Yeah, God is represented in liturgical functions by the priest who's acting in persona Christi. As we know from Ephesians 5, Christ is the head of the church. Thus, woman, thus women do homage to Christ by covering their heads in liturgy as a physical, tangible affirmation that Christ is the head of the church. By so doing, women act as living testament to the church's ontological reality as the mystical body of Christ. The woman who prays with her head uncovered appropriates to herself a status that she has not been given by God, that of a spiritual head. Only a man can act in persona Christi, so only a man can have an uncovered head in liturgy. This is why St. Paul contrastingly demands that men pray with their heads uncovered. Since men are analogous to Christ in the context of Ephesians 5, for a man to pray with his head covered offends the august and regal status of Christ himself, at least suggestively. It debases the lordship of Christ by relegating Christ's position to a mere member of the body as opposed to giving him his proper place at the top of the hierarchy. Since the body obeys the head in the natural order, occupying the place of head shows lordship. So when men pray with their heads uncovered, they give glory to God. Women who attend liturgy with uncovered heads also shame and emasculate their husbands. Woman was created as man's helpmate. Husbands therefore have temporal authority over their wives, and this is witnessed in scripture. Um, obviously, it's strongly in Ephesians 5. But because of the bad scholarship that's coming out of feminist quarters in the church, because of the eisegesis, the reading of feminist meaning into Ephesians 5, and reading its patriarchal meaning out of it, I tend to demonstrate men's headship with other biblical verses, um, especially Titus 2.5 and 1 Peter 3, uh, verses 1-7. through 7. So, 
Let me, let me read out of 1 Peter 3, 1 through 5. Um, Peter, St. Peter, in his epistle, tells us, Likewise, wives, be subject to your own husbands, so that even if some do not obey the word, they may be won without a word by the conduct of their wives, when they see your respectful and pure conduct. Do not let your adorning be external, the braiding of hair and the putting on of gold jewelry, or the clothing you wear, but let your adorning be the hidden person of the heart with the imperishable beauty of a gentle and quiet spirit, which in God's sight is very precious. For this is how the holy women who hoped in God used to adorn themselves by submitting themselves to their husbands as Sarah obeyed Abraham, calling him Lord. So the constant teaching of the church and the scriptural teaching is, as we know, as you retrogrades out there know, husbands have headship over their wives. They're the head of their family. They're the head of the domestic church. And in affirmation of this scriptural principle, Pope Pius XI wrote Casti Canubi. And in section 26, he states, the domestic order includes both the primacy of the husband with regard to the wife and children, the ready subjection of the wife and her willing obedience, which the apostle commends in these words. Let women be subject to their husbands as to the Lord, because the husband is the head of the wife, and Christ is the head of the church. So because woman is subject to the rule and authority of her husband, her outward gestures and bodily comportment need to reflect this subjection. Man shouldn't do with his body something that reflects um, a lie about his position in creation. Man naturally recognizes that gestures reflect belief. Just like a private in the military knows to salute his commanding officer as a sign of respect, and just like how we genuflect when we walk in front of the tabernacle at mass as a sign of respect. Since man is a composite of matter and form, what we do bodily needs to reflect our purpose and our reality. So woman's appearance and actions in liturgy should reflect her station in life as man's helpmate, as one who, according to Thomas Aquinas, occupies a lower place in the natural hierarchy than man, as one whose role is to obey, not to command. Women ought to cover their heads in liturgy because it's an unmistakable statement that their husbands are their head, that the husband is the head of the family and the wife is the body. By hiding her own head, the woman highlights with powerful symbolic speech the headship of her husband. So in the words of the Jerome Biblical Commentary, which is not a pillar of theological conservatism by any stretch of the imagination, uh, one of its chief editors was Raymond Brown, who is a very liberal scripture scholar. Not covering a woman's head in liturgy, for a woman to not cover her head in liturgy, is, quote, unbecoming to a woman because God has established a hierarchy in both the natural and religious spheres in which the female is subordinated to the male sex. This hierarchical subordination of the woman should be recognized in her behavior and dress. The veil is a symbol of this subordination, end quote. Another leading biblical commentary, which is actually a Protestant Bible commentary, but it's, um, it, it represents good scholarship, uh, the International Bible Commentary accords with the Jerome Biblical Commentary, and it states, quote, Woman's position of subjection was expressed by the veil and the long hair worn by women, a custom consistently followed in much of Asia and the Middle East 
from the dawn of history. To break with such a convention is deemed a disgrace, being a revolt against the dictates of nature and accepted conduct. Even Archbishop Fulton Sheen, the venerable Archbishop, wrote in his book Three to Get Married on page 117 that, quote, St. Paul speaks of Christ as the invincible head of the body, and this is because the head to which a wife is united is her husband, um, and he's citing there 1 Corinthians chapter 11, verse 3. It is very likely that the divine prohibition against women appearing in church with their heads uncovered is related to this idea. As the church can have no divine head other than Christ, so the woman should have no head except her husband. Therefore, her natural head should be covered. End quote. So as you can see, the concept of veiling or of women covering their heads for liturgy, it's no invention of the church. It's actually intertwined with mankind's natural affinity for imbuing actions with sign value. And as we've already mentioned, um, the, the third prong, the third reason for covering the head of women during liturgy is to act as an exercise in modesty. So 1 Corinthians chapter 11, verse 15 tells us that woman's hair is her glory. So, therefore, to avoid pilfering any of the glory which is rightly directed to God during liturgy, women are to keep their heads covered. It's the same principle as not showing up to a wedding in a really gaudy, really bright dress because you don't want to take the spotlight off the bride, right? But this, of course, applies with even more force when you're talking about God in liturgy. You don't want to be wearing anything to a liturgical function that's going to take people's focus off of God, who deserves to be reverenced and worshipped and praised with our whole heart, mind, body, and soul. Um, it's also uh, important that women don't distract men in liturgy. We know that we're to avoid causing our brothers to stumble, and this especially applies to women's dress and deportment her modesty being so readily offended by public exhibition, according to Pope Pius XI in his encyclical Divini Ilius Magistri. You know, a lot of feminists balk about that. They say it's unfair and men have to have custody over their eyes and that we can't expect women to change how they act and dress so that men don't fall into sin. But that's, that's not a scriptural, that's not a Christian perspective. Uh, it's actually very unchristian. We know that we have to avoid giving people scandal. That's actually a Christian moral duty, is to avoid scandalizing others. Um, now, men do have a, a concomitant duty to avoid, to avert their gazes and to control their eyes and to control their thoughts and not fall into the sin of lust. But there are two duties there. Women need to dress modestly so that they are not scandalizing people by drawing them into the near occasion of sin. At the same time, men have a duty to control their eyes and to have pure minds. The basic point, though, is that that feminist objection has no teeth. So moving on, um, let me actually take a pause here to address the question of whether under present canon law, under present church law, Head coverings are required for women in liturgy legally. So I despise intellectual dishonesty and sophistry of all stripes. Yet in some traditional Catholic circles, it's common for people to dress their mere aesthetic preferences in the illustrious garb of church authority, even when no such authority exists. 
And I'm not going to do the same thing here. I think intellectually, we have a duty to make the concession that there is no binding law that mandates women cover their heads during liturgy at this point in time. Um, and so that's important to note. I, I, of course, the whole point of this video is to suggest that women have a moral duty, a duty in truth to cover their head in liturgy. But that's different from saying that they have a legal duty, even though people often conflate the two. You can have a moral duty without having a legal duty, and you can have a legal duty sometimes without having a moral duty. So I've heard many people um, of traditional bent attempt to argue that veiling is required even under the 1983 Code of Canon Law because the requirement to veil, which was set forth in the 1917 Code of Canon Law, was never expressly repealed. This assertion is patently false. Canon 1262 of the 1917 Code, for reference, states, quote, men in a church or outside a church, while they are assisting at sacred rites, shall be bareheaded, unless the approved mores of the people or peculiar circumstances of things determine otherwise. Women, however, shall have a covered head and be modestly dressed, especially when they approach the table of the, uh, the, table of the Lord, end quote. So that's what the 1917 Code of Canon Law stated. Uh, and that reflects just a constant tradition of the church going back to the apostolic age. But the 1917 Code of Canon Law is, has been replaced. The new 1983 Code of Canon Law says absolutely nothing about the practice of women covering their heads in liturgy. Hence, under Canon 61 of the 1983 Code, the law of head covering in liturgy has been repealed. Canon 61 says, quote, when this code goes into effect, the following are abrogated. Number one, the code of canon law promulgated in 1917. And number two, other universal or particular laws contrary to the prescriptions of this code, unless particular laws are otherwise expressly provided for. Therefore, there's no binding positive ecclesial law which mandates women wear head coverings to church. The 1917 code has been abrogated, which means it's been repealed, and the 1983 code is absolutely silent as to the duty of women to cover their heads. So even though there's no legal duty, as I've already said, that I believe there is a moral duty and a duty in truth for women to continue wearing head coverings at church as it's rooted in the theological anthropology of man, it's rooted in women's very identity as man's helpmate. The reason that the head covering has gone the way of the dodo bird is feminism. It's plain and simple, it's feminism. Feminists know the power of symbolic speech, and they understand that one of the primary purposes of the female head covering is to show their acceptance of their husband's headship. Actually, the heretical rag that is the National Catholic Reporter has run pieces all but admitting this. Writing on the topic, Heidi Schlumpf bloviates, Quote, covering women's heads does still have meaning today, and that meaning, give me a second here, is hardly a feminist one. Despite the attempts of some Muslim feminist women to claim that the hijab as liberating, most today see the covering of women's heads as quaint or backward, if not downright repressive. It's not an unsubstantiated assumption given the 
historically, some women's head covering has meant to limit men's sexual temptation for them and often has symbolized submission to a husband. This may have been Paul's point in 1 Corinthians. Even wedding veils, part of the princess bridal attire that many American girls dream of, have their roots in patriarchy. In an arranged marriage, a husband unveiled the wife to symbolize his taking possession of her, and the veil became a symbol of virginity and purity as well as submission to her new spouse." End quote. Schlumpf actually continues later, I wouldn't be so skeptical of head covering if it applied to both men and women. If modesty is a Christian virtue, why wouldn't believers of both genders be called to demonstrate it by covering their heads? In fact, the opposite is true for men. Tradition requires that men remove their hats to show respect, most likely because historically hats symbolize status. Unfortunately, most traditionalists call for a return to veil wearing um, believe in complementarity, that women's and men's differences complement one another. This justifies separate roles, usually men as leaders and women as followers, thus the emphasis on submission, humility, and modesty as virtues for women. So we've already seen that the duty for men to pray with uncovered heads actually is there to pay homage to God, and it is, yes, a reflection of the man's headship of, over the domestic church. Um, so that's actually correct. So many people who have a problem with this just have a problem with the fact that God created men and women to have different and disparate roles, right? He created them male and female. God doesn't make mistakes. If men and women had the same role, if they were called to have the same role, then God would have simply made one sex, but he did not. He chose specifically to make a community of sexes, the man and the woman, because this reflects the Trinitarian nature of God himself. Um, so what feminists have a problem with is, yes, it's patriarchy. Yes, it's hierarchy. Yes, it's anti-androgyny. You know, they want an androgynous society where men and women can do the same things, where they can take on the same roles. So they see the veil or the head covering as an actual physical, kinetic, tangible repudiation of the androgynous society. And they see it as a repudiation of women claiming a headship that's not hers to claim. So in the eyes of the National Catholic Reporter, I think we can, it's fair to say, things that are not feminist are incompatible with the Catholic faith. Now, that's a laughable presumption. As we know, feminism is at its core a rebellion against patriarchy. And since God himself willed patriarchy, you feminists are at odds with God himself. So hence, feminism is anathema to the Christian religion, since it's a rebellion against God's plan of creation. Nevertheless, instead of evangelizing the culture of feminism and the culture of death, the church has apparently allowed herself to be evangelized by those things, capitulating to women's livers in an effort to ingratiate herself to them. And this, of course, is folly. It's against Paul's directive that we must not conform ourselves to the wisdom of this age, but rather conform this age to the wisdom of the, of the church, which is truth itself. Lex Orandi, Lex Credendi, the church maxim that says the law of prayer is the law of belief, applies here with great, with great force. 
If the church is to retain her constant teaching on women's disparate roles from those of men, if the church is to retain her teaching that woman is subordinate to man, yet equal in dignity, then she must bring back the practice of head covering for women. It's no coincidence that the 1983 Code of Canon Law was drafted right in the wake of the feminist revolt of the 1960s and just happened to leave out the mandate that women cover their heads in liturgy. This is basically a spiritual retreat. So I call on the church to mend the divide between truth and her canon law. There should be no rupture between the two, and sadly there is one in this area. There should be no rupture between doctrine and praxis, and we're seeing a disquieting trend in ecclesial quarters of separating doctrine from praxis, and that's the mark of a church which is in ill health. That's a mark of a confused and moribund church, and we need to put our feet down and really stop this. Going on, in honor of the secular quasi-holiday, International Women's Day, which was just a couple of days ago on March 8th, I have this to say. Women need to be reminded of their place in the world. For too long, emasculated men have allowed uppity and insolent women to make to demand positions that are simply not theirs to occupy. It's not woman's place to rule. And this is why popes have taught from the pulpit that woman is out of place in both war and parliament. Since man is body and soul, what we do with our bodies needs to reflect the reality of our souls. No army would allow soldiers to stand at ease when a general inspects barracks because that wouldn't show the requisite respect for our superiors. No parent should allow his child to roll his eyes at the parent's commands for the same reason. No man should feel comfortable keeping his seat when a woman enters the room. Uh, and just the same, no woman should feel comfortable dishonoring God and husband by waltzing into church with a bare head. Mary, the blessed mother, is always depicted with a veil, and it's for a reason. It's because it's testament to the lordship of her son Christ, who is the head of the entire church. And it's also because she's the hallmark of modesty, which is the primary of feminine virtues. It's the pinnacle of feminine virtues. Um, do you think that you've outgrown or outdone the model of God's masterpiece, Mary? Give me a break. And husbands need to quit being uxorious, emasculated yes-men that allow this sort of impudence on the part of their wives. As Paul says, the wife who prays without a head covering disgraces her head. Since God and husband are the, women, are the woman's heads, the woman who doesn't cover her head for liturgy disgraces both God and husband. Don't allow this. The Jerome Biblical Commentary tells us that, quote, the man praying with covered head dishonors himself by abdicating the dignity God has conferred on the male sex. And just to add a little parenthetical here, there is a certain dignity that goes along with the male sex insofar as Christ came down and took flesh of a male, right? Um, but the Jerome Biblical Commentary continues. He also dishonors his hierarchical head, Christ, end quote. The Jerome Biblical Commentary also states that the woman who prays with an uncovered head, quote, shames her husband by publicly repudiating the sign of female subjection, end quote. Husbands, man up and use your temporal authority and demand that your wife cover her head for mass, 
for God's sake, for your sake, and for the sake of society, which will be purified when women are reminded of their place in the created order. Women, you should also take it upon yourself, hearing the truth of what's being presented today, to alter your pattern. If you're not covering your head during liturgy, start doing so as you realize that it's in conformity with truth, as it's in conformity with creation, as it's in conformity with theological anthropology, as it's in conformity with the place that God fashioned for you in this world. I know some feminist in the comments is going to write about how offensive this whole concept is, but let me retort and get out ahead of this using the epic words of Juan Luis Vives. He says, quote, Let them be offended according to the advice of our Redeemer, because they're blind and wish to be offended rather than challenged. If they're scandalized by our good actions, why should we not be scandalized by their evil actions? They're offended because we adorn ourselves with the precepts of the apostles. We are more greatly offended because they follow the will and the precepts of the devil. End quote. And I think that basically sums it up. I'm so sick of people trying to stifle truth by claiming that they're offended. I don't care if you're offended. I'll support your right to have way too way too flimsy of feelings and to be offended about everything, to be offended about hearing truth. If you support my right, my corresponding right, to speak truth boldly and loudly and clearly. Someone is also sure to snarkily ask, so you're trying to control women's bodies? Let me say, yes, and what are you going to do about it? We're going to assemble an army of angry women and march and protest and have a tantrum and make a fuss. My answer, an army of women? Boy, that sounds like it's going to be an incredibly wimpy army. No one cares. Guys, this is Dave signing out. I hope you enjoyed today's episode. Women, please do begin wearing a head covering to liturgy. I think it's your duty, a duty rooted in truth, to do so. Everybody else, please kindly follow the Rules for Retrogrades channel on YouTube. Um, If you have not done so already, check out our new book, Rules for Retrogrades. And also, please continue supporting the show with your prayers and on Patreon. You know, we really count on the, the goodwill of our viewers to keep us going. So thank you very much. God bless you. Have a nice night.